Footy Prime, the podcast is brought to you by Tony Bet, official sponsor of the CPL and presenting sponsor of Canada's unofficial voice of footy. You're listening to Footy Prime, the podcast with Danny Dickio, Craig Forrest, and little Jimmy Sharman. Today, we welcome former Canadian player and current coach, Nick Dasevich. This show is produced by Dan Wong at Eggplant Picture and Sound in downtown Toronto. Me, Jeff Cole, let's get this party started. <laughs> Wait, this ain't no football. This ain't soccer. What the hell are you talking about? I never would have agreed to this if I knew it was that sister sport. Hey, get your hands off me. I love football. Trump for life. Thank you, JC. Simon, that was... JC, I guess that's in honor of the impending Donald Trump triumph on Tuesday, right? <laughs> I'm assuming that was a Trump voter giving us the, uh, the well, not all there. not all Southerners are Trump supporters. Definitely wasn't Joe Biden. It definitely wasn't Joe Biden. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, welcome to Fully Prime. Um, we can't wait to bring on a good friend of the show, good friend of these two beside me, Nick Dazovich. Craig, how many games did you play with Dazzo, do you think, over the years for Canada? Um, it's got to be 40 or 30. Or oh, yeah? Probably. He, how many caps has he got? 60? Uh, something like that. 63, maybe. That many, yeah? Yeah. Was he on the... Come right um, out of the gates and start asking questions. Yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> I could look at this five minutes ago and then you freaking ask me. That requires preparation and we know we don't do that. That's not what we do on Footy Prime. <laughs> That's right. we, we're on the fly. <laughs> um, Champions League week. Um, we're just coming off what was a really busy uh, Europa League day. Anyone mm-hmm. watching the Europa League action today? I couldn't. I was on the field, so. Yeah. I've, I know that Milan won. Which Did was they? A good result. Uh, I think Arsenal won because Luca was happy, my oldest boy. Let me look here. Why is he an Arsenal fan? He's an Arsenal fan. Dog. Yeah, why though? Yeah. Lot, I told you before, a lot of my family are Arsenal. Yeah, but you've got a United fan in there as well, haven't you? Yeah, that's Franco when we lived in uh, Preston. Though. So you're on the cusp there, the QPR and Arsenal fans? I used to watch Arsenal a lot when I was young. So yeah. My uncle used to work for Arsenal. So Highbury, QPR what a special away. place, yeah. eh? On the clock end. You yeah. said, I've gone Arsenal. Yeah. I played the memory when they had they were building, redoing the one stand and they had yeah. a, the mural. Yeah. I played one game there. It was actually, that was great. Yeah. It wouldn't shout abuse at me. Beautiful old stadium, Highbury. Yeah. And they won uh, three nil today. in the bathroom. It was classic. Oh yeah, I went to Highbury once or twice as a kid. And uh, yeah, that's a proper football stadium, wasn't it? Yeah. It's a bunch, like, of, bunch of flats and condos now. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was squeezed right in amongst all the housing. Yeah. Like it's just, that's what's unique about some of those old, old stadiums used to be like that, though, didn't they? Craig? Yeah, like, yeah. Do you remember Luton as well? Luton was the oh place. yeah, tucked away down the street. Yeah, no way out, one way in, one well. way out. QPR is basically you've got yeah. people's gardens in the back of the terraces there. So yeah. I think we're missing that history a little bit now in mm-hmm. in the modern day world and the, in the new stadiums, stadiums yeah. that are built like 15, 20 minutes outside of. Yeah, um, you, let, you lose the, the community a little bit, right? Yeah. But do you think, though, when, when those original stadiums were built, they were lamenting, oh, we missed the field, the farmer's field, when we used to play, you know, and then they built hybrid. Ah, oh, this, what is this monstrosity? What are you, you talking think? about? That's so freaking different. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it different? Well, you're like comparing it to playing on a... No, you're, 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 you're buggers like whining about these horrible new modern stadiums. Well, when hybrid was built, do you think they were complaining about that then? Oh, you know? <laughs> oh, that makes much more sense. Well, not really. But. <laughs> Do you know where Arsenal used to play before Highbury? I have no idea. What, I think they used to be called Woolwich Arsenal, and um, I'm not sure they played actually in Islington. <laughs> I think it in Woolwich, but that's Woolwich is a, a big uh, like docks area down in in yeah. London. It's not the best, so proper working man's club back in the day. So they they originated from the docks. I think so. Woolwich Arsenal, yeah. Because I could have asked you that five minutes ago. And yeah, you should have checked done. it on. When you guys, when you guys, you know, finally nice moved to became first team players, you know, at, at a big club, be it QPR, be it Ipswich, what was the biggest shock to you as far as the way you were treated as a footballer compared to when you were much younger? Was it, you know, was it the, the boot room? What was it? Was it something like, wow, I've I've made it now. I am a, a legit. I'm a professional. Look at my world, my my luxury I live in. What was it in in the stadium, in the training ground? No, I, I think 
this is what the problem is now with younger players because even when I was a younger pro and I made it <coughs> to the first team, I still didn't think I made it in general. Mm. And I had older professionals keeping me in line as well where I still had to do a lot of the jobs. I had to carry the balls, the cones. Uh, you had to get cups of tea. You, you, were ba- basically, you were a slave still. You were a rookie still. So yeah. I'm sure they still do it in American yeah, sports. Yeah, there, there was certainly a they, – yeah, they kept you grounded. Yep, mm-hmm. they really did. Where today I think the younger players are given a lot, a lot at a much younger age – even before they've made 10, 15 appearances. And I'm not talking about a before lot. Before they made any appearances. Yeah, I'm not even talking about the money here. I'm just talking about in general, they're treated like they're a superstar already. I think that that's a very, very gray area and a fine line of whether a young man will make it to the top level because if you've been given a lot at an early stage, that hunger, that will, that desire to really push yourself on and play 100, 200 games in a Premier League mm-hmm. like Craig did, uh, play at the top level. I think that hunger is gone and it's now just kind of a, a gimme of these clubs don't want to really, they don't want to upset their younger players because they know there's such a, a commodity to keep hold of and they don't want to anger so them. So you piss them off, they might, they might jump yeah, to the next the big club that's time, asking. Deech, I mean... Without that honesty and support leadership toward these young players, there was a player a couple of days ago and a former Man City player that was released. So there's a guy that's been pushed, probably been told his whole life he was great, but then he gets let go. Yep. And these players, I mean, you know it. Every I've, when you're in your U team, how many players made it? Two. Right. From my from my Me age, as well. when I first went in at nine years old, only two of us made it through all the levels to the first team. So, and when you made, and you playing for a U team in anywhere in England, at a top you know development club, you're good. Mm-hmm. These are good players that are they're shocked when they're let go. Most of them, yeah, like holy shit. And there there are many that probably had more talent than others that did make it, but for what? Ever reason they didn't make it. You must have been around those guys. Like this guy's going to make it for sure. Well, Look at his skill set, and they didn't make at. it. And if, say, if you're a, you're an engine or you're a tackler or you're a you know a, a Conte type player, mm-hmm. can't say like you know what you're good. That's yeah. you can still be successful. That's the beauty of the game, I think, too. But obviously, technically, you have to be fairly fairly good to reach that top level. We, we still have this problem and we, we uh, I wouldn't call it a problem but we have this discussion within uh, Toronto FC's academy as well where we see players at a young age and we go oh my god he's, he's definitely going to be a pro like he's 13, 14 years old a good example is Josh Marrera right. known Josh Marrera who's a fantastic young player since the age of 11, 12 and I would have put my, my house on him becoming a professional player he had all the attributes. He had the desire, the commitment, the willingness to put the work in. He trained like a beast every day. He played like a beast. And then he had the unfortunate injury of doing his ACL at what age would it have been? 15, 16. He would have yeah. been 16. He was in TFC Academy? Yeah. And yeah. it really, really put him back. And I was, I was devastated for the kid. He came back from it, but he was – he's still – playing he's at university now down in florida so i'm not saying it's over for him but my my lord like he was a top top player at a young young level and i i, I thought this boy's going all the way so was it was it his, his confidence was hit post-injury or was it literally a physiological physiological problem that that didn't allow him to get back to his previous heights i, I don't think it was his confidence he's always had his inner confidence he's he's, he's got a a, a, a very very kind of sad story his background and I don't want to go into it too much that that really pushed I felt pushed him on to want to become a professional player to prove people right but also to prove to this person that he would do it for him as well you can mention his brand and his brother yeah so his, his brother passed away at a young age so I think it was just in him to prove mm-hmm. and, and do it for his brother as well right. and his parents but it was it was such a sad day when he when he did his ACL because I I've, I've played with players that 
done their ACL and uh, like I'm speaking about Kevin Gallen was was my other um, strike partner at QPR from a young age and we'd, we were the only two players to make it through to the pro levels and he done his ACL at Portsmouth when we were about 20 we'd just broken into the first team and he was rumoured about going to Manchester United and stuff like that and he returned but he was never the same player and he even he would admit it as well <laughs> now medicals Sports science has come on and evolved so much now and it's helping players return at not only a quicker rate but a more successful rate as well to play at a high level even after an ACL, MCL injury. But it was just, it was devastating for me being Josh's coach and and I I look back on it now and I, I say to the other coaches within the academy, we have to be very careful of who we're kind of pigeonholing and saying he's going to be a pro player or he's mm-hmm. going to be a pro player. They all go through their different pathways at different ages and they all mature and they all at run different the risk ages. of injuries. Risk of injuries. Yeah. Uh, parents separating. We've had we've had dealings with that. Yeah. Um, Bottom line, it's a very small percentage that yeah. make it through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for so, whatever reason. So much adversity, so right? To reasons. face, like I said, off the field issues can can prevent someone from making that that big jump to the next level. Sure, and just from the get go, having parents or the finances to be able to mm-hmm. support a kid through playing minor sports, right? It must be important, though, also for the player to you know realize it himself. Okay, I can be a top player, as opposed to being told by other people you're going to be a top player. You're going to be a top player until you actually believe it yourself. It's never going to happen, right? Imagine a lot of these kids are told from a very young age, you're the best player in your team, your mm-hmm. rep team, your club team, best, 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 best. But until they actually appreciate and acknowledge it themselves, yeah. they're not going to get that And I that think the ones that continue on with longevity are the ones that realize and have almost a, they, they don't want to stand still. Like, they're, they're never quite happy. Like mm-hmm. I was never quite mm-hmm. happy with my game. I always wanted to, be, you know, do something else or practice something else, or there's always something you could work on type thing. Where some guys are like, nah. I yeah, that determination, that yeah. single-mindedness, yeah. right? But I was also probably not as happy as those guys. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like because it, it yeah. burned in my head. Were you ever going to get that? Hours a day if you stayed in Canada, or did you have to move overseas to, to realize that goal? Well, it's different now. But for you, though, when you when you were like you know fourteen years old, and you're obviously good, yeah. and could you have realized that staying here, or was your hunger such that you had to make the move? Well, I guess this opportunities kind of fell into place in time. So hard to say, you know. I wanted it for sure, but the first day I arrived in England, I was. Yeah, shit. <laughs> wake up call, right? Yeah, <laughs> a jet lag. So I woke up and it was summer, so sun was up early, and I'm looking down the street. There's nobody around. There's like it's Coronation Street. <laughs> I'm like, holy shit! People just stand out of the door. You got to look both ways. You can hit your car, <laughs> right? And this is going to be my home. And by the way, it's a dollar a minute to phone home <laughs> in 1984. <laughs> so. You just, you're basically cut off completely. So that, if somebody had given me an opportunity to get in a car and drive back to Heathrow and fly home, I'd have taken it. You would have done it, eh? yeah. And that was the only time I felt that way. I was homesick at times, but how how long, how long was it until you felt comfortable, felt part of your community, part of England? I don't think I ever really felt. No, I think they always reminded you you were foreign. Yeah, tell me about it, hey, Deej. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still good every day. You're not Canadian. Well, I've been you here 30 years. Yeah. I kind of am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You sound I was weird. kind of like that. That's Same why thing. when the Premier League, I'd already been there for eight years. But, but you must have pretty early, though, realized, okay, may, I am Canadian. I'm not English, but you felt comfortable. Yeah. 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 I didn't feel like when they said they were all foreigners that started the Premier League, I was like, yeah. oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought they would, might consider me since I held a passport and everything. And been there for a while mm-hmm. you know I, yeah it was weird kind of what about your hunger Deitch was it always there or did you have to kind of um, my, cultivate it no my hunger came from just being in love with a game I was in love with a game from a young young age like um, my dad was was a massive like football fan Italy AC Milan he took me to my first game at QPR when I was I think six or eight months old 
It just uh, took me. I don't know why it took me. My mum still questions why, but and that was it. I fell in love with the game at a young, young age, and it was in my culture, but it was also in my environment and where I lived. There was kids playing every day um, at school, uh, break time, recess. We played every day, and it suddenly just naturally evolved. And uh, I didn't realize I was any good at it. I just played it because I loved doing it. And I think you get to a certain age, I think it was around 12, 13, where I thought, I really want to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. Like at a younger age, I wanted to be a policeman. You'd be a good policeman. Yeah, I'd be a good policeman, I think. Um, Trunching down your pocket. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was just something that... What a different environment from... Most Canadians, eh? Yeah, and I mean... Football uh, everywhere in the streets. Yeah. And, you know, can't escape you can, it. You can only measure it against probably ice hockey back to when you guys were younger, where mm. it's on TV every day, it's in the papers. Yeah. Kids on the street playing Kids ball hockey, street right? playing yeah. ball hockey. That's what we did. In yeah. the winter, they're playing shinny, whatever it is. So it's exactly the same as that, but twofold in, in England, where everyone's playing football. 90, 95% of the kids in my school wanted to be a footballer. Mm-hmm. And we all had the dream of wanting to be a footballer. I was just very fortunate. And people talk about there is no luck in the game. There is luck in the game. I don't care what anyone says. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, I took my my daughter out for a kick around in the field, and uh, on the way back, we're walking back and I'm dribbling the ball on the, on the sidewalk, on the pavement, right? And uh, and she kicked the ball and it went under a car, right? And I had this weird flashback. Like I thought, and I told her, "Do you know how many times I've been?" Lying in, 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 in a puddle of oil under a car trying to get a ball yeah. from it. And I hadn't thought about that for, Christ, 30 years, probably. 25 years at least. And like, ah, yeah. oh, I can smell the oil and I can see the ball and get up from under there. Ah. Kids wouldn't have the experience. No, it, no. I love I that. devastated. I remember a couple of times when a ball went under a car. And because they weren't really well-made balls they were like half yeah. plastic it half was, rubber it burst it burst when it come <laughs> yeah. out and I was absolutely break your heart right like what am I going to do with like my life now <laughs> no problem my mum would give me like a pound to go up the road and get another plastic ball but yeah it was just again it's it's nothing you really think about as a youngster and that's what I think helped me as as a young I think when also though for me, I think I got to a stage where it was almost like fear of failure more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Letting yourself down or... You- well, what the hell am I going to do if it doesn't work? Mm-hmm. And I actually understood that pretty... Still kind of feel that way. <laughs> actually, actually, now you come to think about it. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, life's a box of chocolates. <laughs> As my brother would say, Forrest. <laughs> Gum Forrest. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. Yeah. Said when that movie came out. Oh, God. Here we go. The end of it. I remember, first seen, I, I remember seeing the trailer for the first time. <laughs> You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> Fucking braces falling off when he was running down that long road. It was just like, oh, boy. Here we go. He couldn't be Bob. Good at had to be yeah, Forrest. Yeah. Or, you know, I heard the movie was coming out as Forrest Gump, but maybe Forrest Gump was going to be like some cool dude. <laughs> Not that he wasn't cool. He was cool. You know, yeah. He's he, the coolest well, he, dude. He actually but, was. He, but yeah, you're right. He, he wasn't did a lot, known of, just a cool lot of stuff guy. that people didn't believe in. You know, he wasn't a real guy, right? Huh? You know, he wasn't a real guy. He was a character in the movie. Doesn't matter. Oh, just making sure. I thought maybe, maybe you thought he was a real when person. chanting at me, do you yeah. think that matters? <laughs> And it, and I'm not going to turn around and go, you know you. What was the chant? Do you remember the chant? That's amazing. Gump boy. Yeah, run, Forrest, run. Run, Forrest, run. Run, Forrest. Fuck. Yeah. But going back back to it, I wasn't, I, I never had the fear of failure. I, I really never had that. Like, I was just playing in the moment. And you know what it's like when you're younger. Like, you're just, I was playing like f- four or five games a week. <coughs> Yeah. Okay, they shot. I was playing like for my. Three speed did the three speed hole. go into four? <laughs> yeah, it did. Just changed gears? They slipped again. I was playing like, as I said, four games a week. I was playing for my, my school, I was right. playing for my district. But when you turn when you turn sort of pro and, and it started becoming more of a serious situation, because yeah. you knew what you were dealing Young with. Young pro, yeah. 
I mean, the coaches are letting you know is you you know you're not doing this for fun now. No, I know, but still, and, and I've mentioned it before. When you're young, there is no real pressure on you because you're basically <laughs> brought into the team as this new young player that's going to add a little bit of spark, who's going to provide a little bit of cover for the striker or the defender or the goalkeeper that's either needs a rest or. But did you when you went into QPR's youth team? Mm-hmm. You obviously knew the odds. Were, did you know the odds or did you think about the odds no, of the previous teams? There's nobody, hardly anybody freaking makes it? No. Nope. See, I did. I don't, know why, I don't know why. I just... I did. I just went with it. And, and where was I going to go back? Coquitlam and take grade 12? Get an education. I loved youth team football. It was great. Southeast counties. Oh, I did too. I, um, I did too. But We played gosh. against all the teams... I we won go. that south, the, the Southern Floodlit Cup twice. Oh, nice. They were good games. Like we played that was a big cup Arsenal, Chelsea, Spurs. Oh, shit, yeah. They're all in our group. I, I did have to go to anger management classes because I've been sent off three times in one year, though. Oh. And I got pulled into an anger management class with my dad <laughs> by the year. And That's dad great. To go too. Jerry Francis was the head coach at the time, and Ray Wilkins, they sat down with me and my dad saying, listen, we've uh, got a problem here because... Um, we we like the competitive side of Danny and, and yes but the thuggery but he's got to stop but he's got to stop noses. stamping on people's heads and like so anger management do you remember the class what they trying to teach yeah, you didn't yeah. work very well obviously. No. well the thing is it's all split second decisions in real yeah. life he's not going to walk down the street and two foot somebody uh, but stage might he might he might <laughs> He might, but you know, but no, yeah, yeah. The, the, the situation. The, I mean, I the, the, the mist descends. You lose control. People, yeah. yeah, nicest people off the field. Yeah, and on it, you're like, holy shit, complete bastards. Yeah, nasty. Plus, I was only fifteen and sixteen. So, fifteen and sixteen, when you're sat in a room with someone trying to tell you to breathe when yeah. you're uh, feeling angry, didn't really go down too well. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm reading... um need to breathe. <laughs> Owen, Owen Callahan's book, uh, Keen, The Origins. He's on the podcast, remember, talking right, about it. Yeah. I'm reading that right now, and it talks about, obviously, Keen from, from day one and how he was, a, as a teenager, was kept getting dropped and not getting the opportunity with the national team, the underage group, national teams, kept getting dropped or getting picked and then not playing, and it really created this massive chip on his shoulder so he, he made it in the end through sheer want and determination and obviously the rest is history but it really kind of cultivated that Roy Keane as the human who he is that angry human being on the football field kind of came from being knocked back over yeah. and over again it's really interesting you know at that age it's, it's, it's something that I don't feel we look into enough uh, and I'm sure there's players in basketball hockey um, definitely in football where they faced a lot of adversity in their younger days and it could be something as, as simple as what you're saying Craig where you've travelled halfway around the world and you're in a uh, foreign environment street club wherever you are you really miss home but you don't want to go home right? so you know you have to make the most of it plus an added bonus of I've got to prove that I can stay here and be part of this yeah. team, but I, I don't want to go home. So yeah. that's an ad, adverse reaction that you've shown there in proving that you can play. Yeah. But and that was a daily thing. That it was a daily something, thing. Yeah. But that would be the same as Keen. Yeah. Um, I've read stuff on uh, Vieira when he was younger as well. Got dropped, uh, not even picked for his, his younger team. Beckham was part of my um, England set up and schoolboy stuff from the age of 12, 13, all the way up to 15, 16. Didn't get into the... Did he stand out? England yeah, did he stand out to you at all? He stood out because he could he could whip a ball in and he could deliver a ball, but he was really, really small. Right. That really. was keen as well. That was keen as well. He was a stature so setting back. See, that's the thing when they talk about even like Owen Hargreaves. Oh, well, Canadians, the CSA turned him down. He was it's like, hold on a minute. Like, at that time, he might not... Have, ready. He probably yeah, wasn't right. ready. Right. That happens all the time. Yeah. It's not Late even to bloomers. say that they don't like him, but he's not ready. Yeah. Yeah. Beckham wasn't ready at that age, and some guys are. At 14, I was like a little weed. Wasn't ready. 
by 18, I was just not ready. <laughs> you're fat. I was, I was fat. <laughs> and at 40, 45, you're still good. Yeah, exactly. Just not a weed, that's for sure. I, mean, uh, yeah. I like weed, but that's about this close but as again, it gets to going it. back to what we said before, is like uh, speaking to the academy coaches at TFC, I'm sure it's the same at Montreal, Vancouver. Do not be too quick to make a decision on certain players, whether they're going to make it or whether they have no chance of making it because they obviously have a talent. Mm -hmm. They're in a professional academy. Some players go through maturation at at so much quicker times than other players. And then you look at the likes of Owen Hargreaves. You look at uh, Jamie Vardy at Leicester, got released by Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, a young, young age. Mm-hmm. He had to go through the non-leagues, went to fleet. Look at Ian Wright. Ian Wright, 26, yeah. 27. He Stuart came back Pierce into is late. So there's always going to be those outliers for sure. Yeah. But uh, I feel us in general, we need to, to – that's why we're, we're paid to coach and to identify younger players. We have to be a little bit more some, stringent some, and yeah. careful. And, and realistic too. Making and decisions, like snap decisions. Yeah. At the same time, Vancouver, that it'll be talked about from now until they, they get somebody even close. They'll be saying, where's the next Alfonso? Alfonso, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know what? They can't measure that. They cannot measure. <laughs> he probably, might be the probably only Alfonso. Somewhere. <laughs> Chances are he'll be the only Alfonso for the next 30 freaking years. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That wouldn't, and that doesn't mean to say that we're not going to develop good players. But, but he's a generational type guy. We think he is. Right. I mean, again, listen. Right. Let's, I, I still think people are going a little bit too far with Alfonso right now. He, he's a wonderful talent, right? And he had a great, great season last year. But he's still so, so young. You do yeah. see these guys have these incredible early seasons and then they kind of flitter away. Now, yeah. Alfonso's got the injury now. He didn't start the season well regardless. He wasn't playing. Yeah, not to belittle the guy. I'm yeah. not trying to do that, but I'm just saying everyone still take a bit of a breath on Fonzie. Well, you know, and to Bayern Munich, if they see him like yeah. he's big on this TikTok thing, you know what I mean? And they start like he's distractions he's, could be an issue. You right? know, they just might put pull him down back this. a little bit. Might be. Yeah, pull him back. And yeah. Say, hey. But he seems like he's got his feet on the ground. You right? can, and you can just leave this kid. club as quick as you arrived. Yeah, and there's we have money to buy anybody in the world, pretty much. If we, you know what I mean, like yeah. it's mm-hmm. just. But, I don't know. I'm not saying that, but he, the, the injury uh, was a pretty bad twist. For yeah, sure. yeah. It's a few weeks. Yeah, fuck those ankle injuries, man. Just seeing the picture of it, it hurt. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, when you're looking at young players, though, I mean, and you see a kid with such great determination, and you see this kid will not take no as an answer he's going to make it somehow and then you see the kid who's got the sublime technical skills the talent but hasn't got that inner drive as a coach what player is, is more seductive to you you know who do you want to get hold of and try and make into a footballer well I think it's very easy to coach the first one as you said the one that has the desire and the will uh, the willingness to compete might not have the the quality of the second player we're talking about and for me, the second player is is the player that I most like to work with because I think that brings out the most of your coaching abilities and it really tests your your uh, your quality of a coach, but also you as a person as well because it's it's not always going to be based upon football. Mm-hmm. It's going to be based upon the character and the personality of that player as well. And we have we have a few of them that I'm dealing with in in the second team at Toronto FC now and. I scratch my head every night and saying, wow, I didn't get through to him that way, so now I need to go a different way. And sometimes it's an arm around the shoulder. Sometimes it's the detailed visual uh, approach that they need. And sometimes it's just a swift kick in the nuts. <laughs> saying, listen, we've got to fucking work here. Mm-hmm. This is the, yeah. this is and the next go, professional oh. phase. And it's like a switch going on. And they'll, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I get it. Have you seen, have you seen a player that reminds you of yourself? No. Me neither. (laughs) No, I don't think I have. Again, it's different here because we're talking about the culture and what I grew up with in in England. And I I hate to say that there's no culture here in Canada because that's that's wrong. There is a football culture here. It's still in its early days. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't know. I was so engrossed 
in everything to do with football. And, and the generation has changed now as well for kids. Like even in England and France, I've spoken to mm-hmm. some guys back there who work in the youth teams there. They said kids are different nowadays. Right. We, all, we, all we cared about at a young age, 9, 10, and 11, was kicking a ball around. They're more rounded now. Was it, the soccer, was it soccer economics or what is soccer economics? Soccer economics, yeah. Remember that? They, Simon Cooper. They went through all the England players and what their parents did, all their backgrounds. Very interesting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, socioeconomic. Yeah. All working class. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, they, as far as England's concerned, and it's the same for most countries, certainly, they say that, you know, England really only kind of pinpointed a very small, select group of society. Because if you're a certain income bracket or went to a certain school, football wasn't for you. You were never even given the opportunity. There may have been some wonderful talents out there. That's right. But you're playing rugby and you're playing That's cricket. That's very true. Very right? true. And Big. it's a small country to begin with, right? Yeah. And then all these little towns have, a, have the public and private schools. Yeah. And all those toffee nosed bastards. Right. They clash. So in the pubs, they clash all yep, the time. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. Like, look down your nose at the, uh, the working class boys and the yeah. comprehensive boys yeah. looking down their nose at the, at the secondary modern. And, and, yeah, exactly. And it's just, uh, it's, it's not healthy. <laughs> it really isn't. No. So, how, how comparable is that to here in Canada with like the hockey guys? Well, now, well, not many poor be, kids you, play hockey, right? You have to be pretty affluent, upper middle class, really, I mean, to, to play, play hockey. hockey yeah. like, Soccer's getting that way, hockey. too, you know? I mean, if you want to be in an academy in Ontario, four and a half grand. Like, for when the, I was growing year, up, that yeah. I mean, we had a coach from hung- Hungary who was a really good coach doing it for nothing like he did it for the love of it and there wasn't enough of him around that's why you don't develop enough yeah. right because coaching is so important mm-hmm. so that was lucky as well just being falling in a place where you had somebody that knew what they were doing excellent yeah I, I'm really worried about soccer in this country being priced out of mm-hmm. the hands of either an immigrant coming across or a young family that can't really afford to send their kid who loves football, watches it on yeah. TV every yeah. day to play at a decent level. I saw an article in the States and they said that this one girl, black girl went to one of the, some camp or something like that. And she was the only black girl there. They're all white affluent girls because the camps are expensive. Mm. So in the state is becoming, and the parents will pay for that chance that their kid's going to get a scholarship or be the pro or, because mm-hmm. they see it on TV and it's so, they think it's tangible. Like it's right there. Yeah. It's close. It's so far away. Yeah, exactly. It isn't easy. And they'll pay. They'll just keep paying. So to, to be an elite soccer player, women or men in the States, it's, you'd be, you can't, if you're going to go anywhere. With, although that being said, in economics, they also say that, I mean, books now must be, at least 10 years old now, but they're oh, saying that, that within the next 20 or 30 years, there'll be a World Cup champion from the States and or China, just from the yeah. sheer volume of players getting there and playing. Yeah. Now, they may have misjudged the time frame a little bit there, but you can see why, yeah. right? Just if you, yeah. yeah, I mean, they, who was it that said that Africa would win a World Cup? Pele said that, didn't he? It was Pele, yeah. yeah. He went up before 2000 or something. He turned 80 last week, Pele. Incredible. Incredible. The legend himself. I saw some, you don't, like, there's not a ton of footage of him, really. You see a lot of the same. But I actually saw some new footage that was released on, on social media when it was his birthday. And they were just showing him play in this game. And it was a hatchet job. <laughs> they were trying to take his knees out. Every, like, it was incredible. Yeah, isn't it? It and was I, worse than, you know, I talk about Maradona. Maradona, yeah. And, and what the, he went through. This was like twice as bad. And no subs. They literally went for him. <laughs> and the referee, probably because of racism or something, he was hardly given it. He wasn't even calling half of it. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible game. That was a different It's a wonder he, generation. he stayed fit as long as he did. Yeah. I remember watching a Uruguay-Italy game in black and white. It was on a World Cup DVD video. It wasn't on DVD. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's probably a video from back in the day. I watched it with my dad. I was that in Chile? I think it was at Wembley. Oh, Wembley? Okay. And I think oh, it was 66. But it was the biggest, like, OK Corral football <laughs> game I've ever seen. Like, literally, they were just hacking each other and swinging for each other. It's like, how is how is this possible? Yeah, and the referees were just coming almost like, just yeah, push you down, apart. Push yeah. people. Would you have enjoyed playing in that, though? A little bit. 
Well, we did a little. I mean, our game late eighties when you played it was, it was it pretty was, physical compared to what it is now. Oh, fuck, for sure, it was so direct. I mean, everything was direct. Yeah. Like massive guys, mm-hmm. strikers. Everybody had a big one, and they were all mean as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we just about every one of them. This is interesting, actually, because we we spoke about Pele and Maradona, and we we talk about how the game has evolved and has changed, and that those type of players would would have no chance in playing in today's game. But I also feel that certain players like a Messi or Ronaldo would have had no chance in playing back in those days that we're talking about purely because of like the resilience that Pele would would show even even Maradona yeah back in the day because yeah. the physical aspect of it and I'm not talking athletically the speed of the game whatever but I'm just talking, it was like a hard game yeah, and I'm sure hockey's that way as well yeah. from back in the day. Exactly, but it's one of those arguments. Basketball just just even. because Messi and Ronaldo, for example, haven't played that style of football, doesn't mean they couldn't if they're brought up in that style of football. I'm not saying they could. We just, no, we'll I'm, never I'm know. I'm sure right? when they played when uh, yeah. they were playing at young ages, it was probably very physical. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, right? Yeah, for sure. The walls falling apart. And when you when you are the know. best player, no matter what age group you are, you are going to be a target to a certain point. Yeah, you are. Well, that's no. exactly it. Our team talks are getting And that's any level. I don't care what level. fancies it. Yeah. But that could be professional. That could be um, indoor, yeah. third division, beer league. The best players, you know, if you get a chance, you're going to lay an elbow in them. You have to. Right. Talking about a physical game, our guest tonight, Nick Dizastrovich, <laughs> as Dizastrovich. I used to call him. <laughs> and here he is, yes, as promised, Nick Dazovich. Uh, Dazo, welcome to Footy Prime, mate. Really appreciate this. Um, yeah, thank you. Just before um, you, you came on here, we're talking about different generations and, and physical football. You know, could Messi and Ronaldo, for example, play in Maradona's era, etc., etc. Now, you played in some pretty tough leagues. You played at Dynamo Zagreb, Croatia Zagreb, obviously in Scotland, St. Johnston for a number of years. North York Rockets, shouldn't mention that. Um, but, you know, what was the toughest league, that, that physically the toughest league that you played in in your career? Uh, I mean, toughest physically straight up would be Scotland. It was, there's no question about it. It's, you know, once, once the second one happens in the game, it's the first tackle and long balls and play off the second balls. And there's no, there's no advantage everywhere because there's no fouls called. It's straight up football. And I was actually back there not long ago and it's the same thing. It hasn't changed. It's the culture. Um, you know, the best cut, the one of the best cut I played was when I was at Dinamo. That was, at that time was Yugoslavia. So he had Red Star and Partizan and Dinamo and Haidu. That was a very good league technically. Um, strong as well, but yeah, Scotland football was just something completely different. And it took me a little while to get used to it, but it was... At the end of it, it's, it's kind of like almost how you want to play sometimes. You just let the guys get on with it, you know? So when you have in modern football, there's a lot of, obviously, we, we always talk about the diving and things like that, but it's, it's, it, does, it doesn't exist in Scotland, that part of the game. So yeah, that, that part I enjoyed. Das, oh, sorry, Das. So tell, tell us about that when you were playing in Yugoslavia, former Yugoslavia. You were there just when the war was breaking out. Tell us about you were at a game. I think you were playing in uh, Serbia, I believe, believe at the time. And you guys were flying out, and you were a little bit nervous about whether the plane was going to get off the ground or you get shot down. <laughs> stories during that time because it was the wild west i mean there's no everybody was picking up guns and to you know arm themselves and all this stuff and it was a wild west for sure but i remember one game we played in the stadium the 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 got hit with a full can of beer so it cut him it cut him down the face i think got like i don't know how many stitches and the game was called off and the team didn't want to be called off and long story short we, we ended up getting out of the out of the stadium just barely with a complete police and army escort and then when we got to the runway we used to fly those old army planes you know where they had the guy at the bubble thing doing the <laughs> doing the navigation it was like a proper like there's no seats and we stood up and hung on the wires and all stuff. it was like something from a movie right and, and I remember I remember we were, we were about to take off and we're kind of just all looking out the windows and along the runway you see nothing but but like big forests and trees and we're like anybody can take a shot at us right now like anybody so we're just kind of looking and waiting and the planes 
going down. We finally take off. We're still waiting. And then we kind of think we're out of the danger that, you know, first thing back in Zagreb, the first bar, just drinks, just get it down. Just <laughs> about the situation. But there's many stories like that in that, uh, in that time I was there. But it, it's, it's going to be a good book, hopefully, one day. Hopefully. Yeah, so we were speaking about younger players uh, early on in the, the podcast and speaking about the resilience and just facing adversity in, in being a foreign player or a younger player trying to get through to the pro ranks. And we spoke about Craig going to Ipswich where he was basically living on Coronation Street and had no idea which way the cars were coming from each morning. But just missing home and having to, to crack through that and, and perform. Now, I remember you telling me stories when you first went over to, to Croatia and it was, it was tough at times where you, I think you, you said sometimes you were sleeping in the stadium or there was times where you, you felt you just wanted to get back home, but you stuck it out. So do you think we're going to see any more of them stories now with, with younger kids going over? I'm not talking about the high level of like an Alfonso Davis or a Jonathan David, but we're still seeing, even at Toronto FC, some young guys going across thinking they can crack the market, but they have really no idea, parents included, in, in what it really takes to, to, to live and play abroad. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I, I sometimes think it's no fault of theirs, the kids. It's just the environment they're they're growing up in. They have a lot given to them at a young age. Um, I remember I lived in. You talk about the stadium. I lived in the stadium for almost almost a year and a half. I lived in a little room, uh, which is now being used as an office space. And where I lived in the old stadium, it's like really. And, <laughs> and and I remember um, I remember my 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 uncle came to visit me. Just a quick brief visit, and he got home and he. And, and remember back then there's no internet or no texting each other it was like you're gone you're gone they don't see you for I didn't come back home for two years with very little uh, communication with my family but my uncle came back home my mom said how's, how's Nick doing and my uncle said he li- he's living like a rat <laughs> this is common and so my mom got a hold of me and I said he might be thinking that but but you know what but I'm I'm loving it that's the difference I love football and I still love it today and that's why I do what I do because I literally wake up in the morning and I, I still don't go to work I, I don't call it work you know I go get, get to go and, and play football and or coach kids right now and and I, I I feel very blessed and I feel that you know it keeps me healthy keeps me vibrant keeps me connected with the thing that I do love the most which is the game of football so for me I actually, my neighbor, one neighbor, an older Italian lady, she says, I really feel sorry for you, Nick. You know, you travel everywhere. You have no real life. And then I looked at my <laughs> my my neighbor that never goes anywhere. I'm like, I actually feel sorry for you. You sit in your backyard and you're in your pomodori and all that stuff. And you're getting that. It's a beautiful harvest in here. But... So for me, I've I don't I don't have any regrets. And, but going back to the kids, I just I don't know if they know what they're what you can't prepare them for what to expect because the, what they don't want to hear these days, and I very found is they don't want to hear when you say you know you know when I used to play they don't care no they don't they don't care and and, and they shouldn't because it's a different time you know I'm born in, I'm born in the sixties I'm an old man for these guys um, but all I can do is impart the fact that it will be tough. Uh, it will be it will be tough to, to, to do what you're doing. Although I think it's a lot easier today because of the way the the, earth, the, the globe is shrunk because of the you know because of internet etc. But it's it's different. It, it, it's hard to blame the kids. It really is. You know, it, it's hard to blame them. I, I think more than them have to adjust, and I'm doing it. I think we have to adjust to them, and, and I mean that in a way of. Of, of, of learning, like, you know, I think it was, Bo- what's the guy's name who's got a job with the uh, Dallas Stars? Bowman, is it? The hockey coach? He's he's 65, and they say the reason why he's still in the NHL because he's learning about the kids. It's not about when I used to play and we used to, you know, drink three or four beers and go for an uh, It's changed. We have to go to what they're doing, and we have to adapt. And if we stop learning, I think we'll be done. And I think as long as we continue to learn and try to find out what, what they want to do and and, 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 and help them along the way I think they'll have a better chance and I think it'll make us better coaches and better people as well I know you've loved the game Dasso for so long and we often talk about managers and one of the guys we've talked about an awful lot lately is uh, the Leeds manager Bielsa Marcelo Bielsa and the the style of play that these guys are playing and you know tell us a little bit about what you sort of you know uh, watched and what you admire about how they play because it's an incredibly exciting game, and the Premier League is better for it. 
Yeah, I mean, he's the coach that hasn't won anything really. You know, I think he won a championship in Argentina. One, he won the Olympic gold medal with Argentina, and then he won with Leeds uh, the championship. That's it. In his forty plus years of coaching, um, what I admire about him, and he's different. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not afraid of being different. Uh, monitored his training sessions. I fell in love with his football when they played when he was coaching. I thought they called Bill Bow against Man United at Old Trafford, and I think they won three to two. And I watched that game. I thought. This, here's, a, here's a coach that's brought his team in Old Trafford and literally played Manu, Manu off the park. And Ferguson said after, I've had, we haven't been like that in a long time at home. And that's, you know, generation of gigs, etc. So, um, you know, one other thing I admire about him is he's very humble. You know, he lives apart in a small, comp, a small apartment. He drives a very, very, you know, a, a, just an ordinary car. Um, and he also says that we have an obligation as coaches. And the obligation is one, we have to win. And Danny, we know that better than anybody. If you don't win, you don't have a job. But the other one, he says, we have an obligation to the supporters to play a brand of football that aesthetically pleasing to them. Because we still need to see entertainment. And that's what we do as jobs. We're entertainers. And when I watch the way Bielsa's team plays, if you have seven guys in the box in the last three minutes, that's pure entertainment. You know, and, and you might be thinking he's a little bit crazy and that's what they call my local. But for those reasons alone, that's why I monitor him. I study as much as I can. I've talked to people that have studied him. You know, I've read some of his books. Um, it's, it's just somebody that I, I admire. And if, if you ever get a chance to go, you know, if you play that way with a lot of things, you probably won't be in a job very long. You just won't because he's also got the, the fact that, you know, he's probably got a little bit of money behind him right now. But everybody that's left his environment has said he's made me a better player, but also a better person. And that's another one that I admire about Bielsa. So uh, I knew I knew when he took Leeds, I knew he was going to be a hit because Leeds is a massive club. And I think you're going to see Leeds being that kind of top four, top five team going forward if he continues. But he only signs a contract at one year at a time. That's now, Adasso, so, the, way, the way he plays, and I, again, we love it, and I think that any neutral would too, um, it is pure entertainment. But is that type of style, like when they're, when they're racing, like when they're playing with Villa and they're – they're winning 3-0 at the time or something. Seven guys are in the box in the 98th minute. Energy that they expend and how taxing that is physically, is it sustainable over over a long season? That's a big question in his past because with Marseille, he did the same thing with Marseille. He was winning the league comfortably and they ended up crashing near the end. Um, I think, personally, there's two things. One, the players say the games are easier than the training sessions. And I've heard NHL players say that before about the NHL guys saying, you know, hockey, the training in the morning is much more difficult than the actual games we play. So the least players are being accustomed to training like basically like madmen. And the other one is when you watch them, there's only one big thing, and this is what it comes back down to talk about the young kids, is the willingness to do it. That's it. Are you willing to go and run six? Is it Ailing? I watch Ailing on the right side. He makes an overlapping run of 74 yards. It's, it's, it's like mind-boggling impressive. But here's a guy that's uh, 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 he's becoming a very good right back and, and even a center back in that Premier League. But he's doing it because he wants to do it. He wants to make that run, not for himself, but for the club. And I think, I think Bielsa has that DNA about him that just resonates to the whole team. And, and they want to be – they'll do things for each other. You lost Rodrigo, like Rodrigo, you know, he makes a, a play and it's an assist and he almost celebrates like he scored a goal because he's part of a group that, that have a bigger understanding of what it actually means to be a part of a culture and a part of part of the club. And again, like I said, there's not many guys that can do what he's doing. There, there really isn't. I would love to see him. And I don't know if he'd want to do a club like a Bayern Munich or a Man United. I don't know if, I don't know if that's in his DNA. I think he wants those projects of the smallish, smaller teams to almost make a point that I could do this. Yeah, well, you talk about that, Das, and I, I really believe that he's had a couple of chances to go to the bigger clubs, but I, I honestly don't think he would get away with what he tries to implement. And I'm not saying Leeds is a smaller club, because we know Leeds is a massive club, but you're working with bigger egos, you're working with superstars, uh, Manchester United, Bayern Munich, even Ancelotti had problems at Bayern Munich trying to get specific players to do what he wants. And that's the key thing with Bielsa. He tries to go into uh, an organisation which needs rebuilding, which needs restructuring. And I think he loves that project. Thrives on it. And you need players that are going to buy into that system as well. When you, you, you know what it's like as well, Dash. You always get one or two bad eggs with, within every group. And if 
you can do your work and the team naturally remove those bad eggs out of it without the manager even saying anything is the perfect scenario. But I just don't think he could do that going into... He struggled at Argentina, uh, the national team level, with, with trying to implement it as well. So, fantastic coach, but not everyone buys into it as a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he spent... How long was he at Lazio? About 26 hours? Yeah, literally, literally not, not even one he day. Was, he was gone. Uh, Mark, he had a tough time at Lille. He went in there and got rid of, I would say... 60% of the playing staff brought his own guys in and had a disaster and they got rid of him before you know within I think it was three or four months he was gone so yeah again even if you and I agree that it's, it's, if you don't get the right guys the right mentality players you probably are in a losing battle and he, and, he, and, and he starts to crack in that because I think some of the guys just can't withhold to sustain that type of workload that he's asking for. But you couldn't, now, you, could you, couldn't you argue the fact that that's for every manager? I mean, it doesn't matter even the success of ones. Mourinho's done a lot of hopping around. Yeah, but Ancelotti, a lot of the big, great big, managers, big, big, hard to be fired. Yeah, but he's hopped around the big clubs, Mourinho. Mourinho. Like, look, just look at his resume. And he's also, let's, let's give credit to where it's due, is whatever you think of Mourinho as his tacticians or what is a person, as a, whatever, he's, he's won the Champions League for three different clubs in three different countries. It's like Inter, uh, Real Madrid, and uh, who's the other one? There's a two, and Porto. So he won three Champions League. So that right away, I think he's won twenty plus trophies. So whatever you say, he's yeah. like, well, well, I'm not, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Maria. I'm just trying to say that even the successful ones are still getting fired, regardless of being oh, successful yeah. over time. Because eventually, you're five, six results away from being fired at any club. Well, the funny part, I did, when I did my pro license, I remember one of our first uh, times together was we went to Carrington. And obviously with Alex Ferguson being a Scotsman, he invited us into Carrington and be part of Man United. And the first thing he said when we all got in a room together, we're sitting down having a chat. He says, listen, do not educate your ownership group. Don't do it. Because you'll tell them what a throw-in is and they'll think they're now they know what football is. <laughs> you'll tell them what offside is and what a playing a three <laughs> in the back means. And they'll come in the next day and they'll say, why are you not playing four? And it's true. Uh, and so that's what he's told them. Do not educate them. Keep them... Keep them grounded. Keep them guessing. Yeah. You know, keep them where you need to keep them, and then you know you're the you're, you're the man kind of thing. So, yeah. isn't it the the, the most important thing? For, the most important thing for a manager or a coach is really having a good relationship with the ownership because it's going to make make you give some longevity. Well, again, you can still have a good relationship. You don't have to tell them everything, right? You know, right. It's like when someone asks you the time, you say, "Do you have the time?" I got the time. <laughs> you, don't tell, you don't have to tell them what time it is, but you can say these things like that. But I'm saying, but even with 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 uh, you know with Ferguson, you know he he was within what a whiskers of being fired yeah. with that uh, league cup or whatever it was a mm-hmm. cup game, and he ended up being there for 27 years, right? Um, but I mean, look, it's 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 a it's such a tough gig right now <laughs> being a coach. You know, you sit back and you think. I actually think sometimes, why do it? You know, because. You know, I, 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 you just, you just don't know. You have, like I said, one or two bad results. You have to have a, a, a club and, a, and an ownership group that that really believes in your vision and what you believe in and how you want to play the game of football and help you implement it. And then it comes down to stage in life where they either going to back you or sack you. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's a tough business because the bottom line is you're probably getting the job because the team's not doing well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Dazzo, on that note, when you were at TFC, there was a certain vision coming from the top, I think. Not quite sure what it was. Um, you were given the opportunity uh, as an interim head coach, did a really good job. I think most fans thought you deserved to be given that job on a full-time basis. Didn't happen. Um, so, so where do you stand now as far as coaching? You like coaching young kids, but I mean, do you feel that there's some unfinished business there in MLS at, at the top job? Yeah, I, I don't think there's unfinished business. I, I mean, I, listen, the, 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 the interim head coaching job was they put, basically put me and Danny as well on a, on a plank and said, look, start walking. With a knife in our back, we, there, there was no unless we won the MLS Cup, we were there was no chance we were getting getting that job, and we knew that. I thought there was a wee chance when we were talking to Jurgen Klinsmann once, and there was one of those meetings, and he says, "You know, we might go Canadian, like we think about the Canadian identity." And I'm like, "I might have a chance." And the little <laughs> car going, 
You got no chance. <laughs> Aaron Vinter so, walks through the door. Uh, but you know what? I, I, I still, you know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger, but I'm at a good age and I've had a lot of experience. And there's still something that, that, that pulls me to maybe give it a one more, one more goal. It doesn't have to be the MLS. It could be a professional gig somewhere along the line. There's other leagues around here. Not to mention Europe. I've had my had a few steps out there over the last two years as well with some clubs that have called and, and, and interest. So the other one is a lot, I was waiting for the kids to kind of get through school, which they have. So now it's a little different to pack up and, and go to different places. So, uh, but right now I'm happy the Whitecaps, you know, I'm coaching in that, in the academy, which has had a lot of success recently. Um, uh, it's helped me to, to restructure how I think about things and, and it's also taught me how to deal with different personalities because these are kids I work with and, and you have to really, you know, I spend a lot of time with a sports psychologist right now for myself just to say, hey, what, you know, how do you get across to a kid that you want to articulate? You have to work harder without really having to go with them. <laughs> and they start giving these key words and, and sometimes it works and sometimes you just bang your head on the wall. And um, and like I said, yeah, Danny, I'm sure you've done that. But we, were, we were talking about that earlier on the show. No, but we have to, we have to, we as older coaches and older that generation we have to we we have to change I, I hate to say that but we have to find a way to change to adapt to them as opposed to the other way around otherwise i know if i don't adapt as a i'm an angry old croat and if i continue <laughs> to be an angry old croat i'm done because the kids will like forget this guy man. I'm, i don't want to deal with this guy he scares me doesn't you know whatever it is right so you 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 want you want the kids to walk up to you and say, look, coach, I'm having a problem. You know, uh, can you help me out here or whatever it is? And we have to be there to accept that, and we have to change. And you know, um, yeah, I, I, I think I, I've changed because of it. Um, and some kids you can't help, you can't. And there's way deeper issues than what we could even think of helping. But there's the, the majority of them that, that could, you know, the one thing that Alex Ferguson said to us, and I thought he was full of crap when he said it because I don't think he did it. He said they love to hear well done. Now, I can't see Ferguson in the dress room at halftime saying well done. Lads. I got to take throwing stuff around, you know, coaching by fear maybe. But but the kids truly just want to be, you know, well done, praise them, praise them. And then they call it 80% positive and 20% correction. Not even – it's correction. It's not about bad stuff. It's about let's correct these little issues and we'll get to you to 100%. But we got a lot of work to do, I think. Um, I started that work. Uh, you know, it's been a few years. And, and I don't think I'll ever stop learning. And that's why I still think I might be involved in years to come because I'm not afraid to learn what a six-year-old thinks. I mean, I don't even get rap music. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, that, that's, you know? Is, is, that, is that right? You've downloaded TikTok and Snapchat now? <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's your problem. You got to get it back. So you, you got to get it back. So you understand what's going on. I don't need to understand that part of it. I don't need that part. Of it. I yeah. just know that you know we lost a great guitar player, Eddie Van Halen. That's all I know. Yes, we did. <laughs> That's, all I know. That's right. Uh, before they go, Dazo, um, you know Vancouver, the Whitecaps. It's been a long season, but I think in recent weeks, certainly, they've seen um, a slight change. We're seeing definitely at the team going in the right direction now. Anyway, it's fair to say. Now, obviously, you're involved with the development side at the Whitecaps. For the Whitecaps fans listening right now, is the future bright? Are you confident this will turn around? Will happen? in pretty short order? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the way the team's been playing it, and Mark's been very open about it. He wanted to change it, the, the dynamics of how he plays and the high press. And, and you can see it now that it is, that it's starting to happen way more often than it was before. Um, because once again, there's a bit of fear factor because you need to get results. But I think they're in a moment now where they're together. They can work a lot together on, on different dynamics. It's a different club. I think there's some good young talent coming through. I really do. You know, Michael Baldismos was, was with the development team. We had him with us for a few months prior to him joining. And the kid's got a lot of quality. I really, I really do think the kid's got a future in the game. Um, and then there's other younger ones even below that. Um, so, but the other part here, you got to remember, this goes for Toronto and Montreal. I'm reading stuff about them going after Fanny and the results. I'm just shaking my head, going, "You guys are crazy." Man. Uh, you know, when I when I coached and I went to Toronto, it was my decision to go and move to Toronto to try to become a professional coach. Mark and, and Vanny and, uh, and Greg, sorry, and um, you know, and Thierry Henry, they didn't choose to go to the States. You know, they have to be there. They're given a lot of commitment to go there. They're, they're, they're keeping the, the clubs alive. So as opposed to me going nuts on these guys, I'm actually saying thank you for doing what you're doing for the club, for the cities, 
for the league that you come down and wanted to move to, not wanted to, but you moved, and they've dealt with it very well. And I can only tip my hat up. I, I don't know how I would do this situation, but um, I think in general, fans and supporters of all three teams have to be thankful, but also supportive if things aren't going so well. And it's not easy being in a, in, in a place for seven weeks to not be able to go home and listen to your family. Most of these guys are usually have young kids. I, I would not even want to think. I know, you know, Danny, you can imagine being with your kids for seven weeks, you know, and leaving your wife alone with it. It's hard. So, it, it, it does. You know, so is that is, is that the case for all MLS teams, or or was that? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, De- it. Deech wants it. He wants to go on a seven-year bubble. Yeah. No, they, no, the other the other teams are living normal. They go home, right? They train and they go to their houses. So you know, hence Colorado get X amount of COVID cases, and now now the way this all turned out, if you heard the news, now it goes up points per game. So now Vancouver now has gone from having twenty-one up to twenty-three games. To what will Colorado? I think about eighteen or something, seventeen games, and then they're just going points per game. So it's to be honest, it's not really fair. I think it's almost like, hey, Colorado, you slipped up. Maybe you weren't. Maybe you're just unlucky. But unfortunately, you end with the games you have. There's your point total. Yeah. Suck it up. It's a, it's a weird year. Deal with it. That's what I think should happen. Yeah, I think what we don't realize as well, that's is that you, you've mentioned it. There is. Being in a hotel, like you can train only so much when you're playing Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, wherever it is. So the boredom factor, as well as being in the bubble, in trying to keep 25 to 30 professional players plus your staff in the moment is key. And and I know that I've spoken to a few of the Toronto FC uh, staff members that that's been the biggest stumbling block. And I think when results are going well, it's fine. You can find certain staff, whether it's team kind of meetings, team uh, competitions that you're doing within the hotel. But when results start to turn the other way, that's when things start to to, to get a little bit hectic. So, uh, again, credit to Thierry Henry, to, to, to Santos and to Greg for and all their staff for, for keeping the players motivated. Um, as you said, being away from home for that amount of time, um, being in a foreign country in the States, I know a lot of our guys are American guys, but they've missed Thanksgiving at home, a lot of our Canadian guys as well, because they were away. There's all kind of stuff that's that's gone on that, that, that the average fan doesn't really realize. Yeah. It affects no. the results. I, I think with Mark, Mark DeSantos, this is his moment, because and I've been around Mark for a few years now, and I know him from before, and his brother worked together with Philip. He's a really good leader, and he... And, and he he knows the importance of keeping things tight and he knows when behind closed doors, when things go poorly, he knows he's going to protect his guys. He's going to be with them and then his staff. And, and he's always there going, look, I've never seen him come into work. And even last year was a tough year where he had his head down. He always came in morning. Let's go. Let's go to work. Come on. And then when he won a game, yep, still not good enough. Let's go. So I think Marks to me is really grown as a coach and an individual in these situations. Uh, and as has his staff, but particularly Mark, and although people quite, you know, he's had, a tough, he's had a tough few years for sure, but I think he's grown exponentially as a coach, and I think he's getting a lot better as a coach. And I think we've just seen the, the, the tip of the iceberg with, the, with that young man because he's a young coach. He's been through a lot, and I think you're going to hear about him as, as, as years continue for sure. Well, if it was to be fair to him too, I mean, no disrespect to, to his side, but there's, uh, you know, when you're looking at the quality around the league, um, you're not talking about Vancouver being one of the top sides on paper. No. Side of it too, but listen. If we're going to be the club we are, let's just try to get some get some young kids in there. It'd be nice to get at least another three or four more Alfonso Davies. <laughs> there we go. Get to it, Dazzo. Get to it. Listen, mate. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed it. We'll have to get back on it some other time. Hey, it took you a year for Pete's sake. I thought you just get. <laughs> I kept asking. Out. I said, "Listen, guys, can we get Dazzo?" No, we don't want him on. <laughs> yeah, he might. He might hey, Dazzo, what's terrible a, stories about other than the OG you scored against me, which was a great goal. <laughs> Good header. Oh, what was the best oh, goal you ever scored? Yeah. Where was I? It, well, he was, putting, if, he was putting out his cigarette well, on the back post. To be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, how strong was the f- wind? You were out of position. It was one of my better goals. We're the, blaming the wind here. That's always no, blaming no, the no, wind. The wind was ridiculous. My hair it was almost unplayable. So. Where was that? It was in Edmonton. Edmonton. Edmonton yeah. Basically, we're going against the second half, and they never got near us. Disaster. 
Zastrovich. <laughs> no, but he did uh, did have terrible. a point. I should have come for it, I guess. So but I mean, it started out at the 18 yard box, and it the wind was like it just and then next thing you know, was like reaching for it, reaching for it, and then he went poof, top corner, and it was just like, holy, what? Yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Well, we should have be- we yeah. should have beat them by four or five though. Second half, eh? This yeah, against yeah, Australia. Half-times. I don't know what the hell happened. <laughs> oh, did you? Because of the OG? Yeah. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. Bob's like, I'm not taking out because you don't go. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Good one. Good one. Daza, oh, thanks, shit. mate. Really enjoyed this. That's great. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Daza. Good speaking to you. Hey, say hi to the family. Teach, okay? Be I good. will do. Take care. Take care, gents. That's Nick Dazovich. Uh, many great stories I'm sure you both have with Daza, which you probably can't regale on these airwaves. But a uh, good teammate from what you said in oh, the past there, DJ. Great human being. Yeah. And a very good coach, by the way. One of the, mm-hmm. the only coaches in Canada that has his pro license, you know. And yeah. we, we need more coaches like like that. So I know Jimmy's just got his recently as well. But we need to mm-hmm. start pushing forwards with more coaches and, and giving those coaches the opportunity to keep spreading the message and, and spreading their experience and knowledge. And hopefully, I know he's really happy at the moment at Vancouver, but uh, I really feel that he's deserved of, a, of another opportunity at, at the high level because he's a very, very good coach. We had like even a thousand guys like that in this country that have got a, the coaching level that Dasso has and capabilities. That yeah. alone, that would be why we would take the next step. Yeah, be a, be a huge moment for sure. I mean, I mentioned the whole TFC era and obviously Dish, you know, really, really well being involved in it, right? Tough time for all coaches. And when Dazzo took the helm alongside yourself, the team did turn things around. We're playing a lot better football, it seemed, right? And then in came Klinsman, hired Aaron Venter, which was, you know, lovely guy and all, but was an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. from a coaching standpoint and they've found their feet since then but again a Canadian guy with gets, opportunity gets ignored yeah ignored yeah. ignored yeah. it happens over and over again it just drives you up the freaking wall yeah. right anyway guys uh, we uh, well over an hour right well, yeah we we? Uh, we talked a bit today yeah. <laughs> but I just also want to mention that people who were listening on the podcast when they were talking about the seven week break Danny was actually praying so that's yeah. what that well, big laughter was about because uh, yeah. things don't always translate well on the so podcast. So when that, when, oh, when right, yeah. uh, you know family gather around the wireless for their uh, weekly the uh, funny crime listening um, and they, they, they hear this, they'll, they'll look at you. With, gonna, there's going to be a mutiny in the house. <laughs> you don't stand a chance, do you? There'll be no another chance. plank being walked. Another one. Be, I'm going to be dog fruit. The plank the with a knife in the back. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, we're back next week, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Some Monday, probably Wednesday. No, not Wednesday. Can't no, do Wednesday, Monday can or we? Tuesday. Okay, we have to figure out. That's right. Well, we'll get the pod up. Uh, yeah. tomorrow. So Friday. Right. Wait, wait. I don't know why we're talking about that because it'll be up when it's up. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Well, who knows? All right. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, thanks, to Nick Dazovich, Wonga. Thank you, pal. JC, wherever you are, great opening. You, you stole the show in the yeah. first thirty seconds. <laughs> Woo! Hey, by the time we speak again, maybe just maybe. It'd be term two for old Donald. You never know. All right. Cheers for listening.